0: Welcome to Me and Mary Jane with your host, Patricia A. Patton. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm here with Leilani Dubois. She is the founder of Humboldt Grace and the Humboldt Grace Legacy Project. And she's also the Chief Community Officer of Canopy Right. So we're here today to talk specifically about the launch of a new app that Canopy Right will um, bring to market in about two weeks. What's happening, Leilani?
1: Hey Patricia, good to see you on the other side of the US.
0: (laughs) This is true, this is true. Um, How have things been?
1: Good, you know, I keep my head down and keep grinding. Things in the community up here in the Emerald Triangle and Humboldt are tough. The small farmers are definitely getting feeling very shut out and having a hard time transitioning into this legalization, but, you know, we're a community created on resiliency. So I think we will figure it out. And today we're going to talk about one of the pieces that I think is going to help us figure it out.
0: So I think that that's super interesting. And of course, maybe it's not to everyone, but it certainly is to me. I am looking for, oh yes, here we go. I'm looking for uh, my phone because I thought that I would share something with our listeners to just sort of give them a little bit of flavor about um who you are uh in fact we met through a mutual friend who um virtually that is initially who was telling me about you in, in um the humble county i still didn't know exactly where that was so you know here's a description looks like You may have written this yourself or someone took very good notes. You state, I grew up between two very opposite worlds. One where your body, your clothes, your trinkets spoke to who you were. The other in the Emerald Triangle where those things just didn't matter. Those things didn't keep your pipes from bursting. Those things didn't deliver your baby safely. Those things didn't put a roof over your head, no food on your table. What did? You and the people around you, a community where you couldn't hide who you were, So you just lived in for the good or the bad. We all saw it. Everyone knew what you had, what you were good at, what you were up to, whom you were sleeping with. It was intimate. So here you are, like time has passed. And- Where did
1: you find that?
0: (laughs) (laughs) You I don't know
1: if someone wrote it or if someone took what I wrote, but it- Is it true? Oh yeah, it's definitely something I've said. For sure, okay. I, I and, and thank you. It, it warmed my heart. So yeah, no, it's totally true.
0: <laughs> so, so what that says to me when I read that uh, is that this is a community that you really know. It's not like an outsider who has come to know it through friendships or whatever. This is something that you lived.
1: Well, my mom, I grew up in a community um, in Southern California called Ocean Beach that was very, very politically active. Um, And when I was five years old, my mom discovered that it wasn't such a great place for us. And we ended up in the Emerald Triangle, which is one of the areas quite known historically for cannabis. Um and I was a very traumatized child. My my sister also died very quickly at that after that. She was five years old. And my mom broke her back in the accident that my sister died in. And the community I had really experienced a lot of exploitation as a child through my community around me. And this community did the exact opposite. Um, They really took care of each other, and as an eight-year-old girl, I was eight by the time we got into the community. um, I had just lost my sister. I was an incredibly traumatized and exploited young woman, and the people gathered around us and took care of us, even though we did stand out. We were hippies, and it was very much a timber town, Um, yet the community didn't judge us. We were just to you know, a family mm-hmm. like them that needed support. And, and that really probably saved my life.
0: Well, I, I mean, you and I worked when I initially was launching the Canvas Business Alliance. Before I even really had any programming at all, the Humble Grace Recovery Project that we tried to support um, was my connection, to the community and there I learned a lot that you know really just doing a little bit you could help people who live there so tell me just a little bit about the project the humbled grace
1: thank you first of all you didn't try you did support you engaged and you supported us and we are still giving vouchers away um, you know these these communities traditionally that have cultivated cannabis for generations live very rurally and are very self-sustaining, um, meaning that they rely on each other to survive through the harsh seasons, winters, and things like that because they don't have a lot of outside resources. Very isolated regions, you know, San Francisco or the biggest city, really, Santa Rosa is about four hours away, and there's only one road to get there, and that road can close. So you become very interdependent upon each other and you understand how that impacts each other. I was in bed recovering from a hospitalization and I was watching the people that I'd grown up with under the flames and needed to do something. And so what we did is we put together an auction. Um, We work under a nonprofit called the Ink People, which is about art and culture and so we put together an auction with art and, and ex- local experiences and 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 lots of people from all over the world gave things to this auction and we did a 5 hour telethon type thing that you participated in and a bunch of other amazing people and we actually raised about $5,000 to give away and we've given away um five vouchers so far and another one on the way. Um, So, you know, it it was just a way to help knowing and understanding that these communities are so interdependent on each other and getting ravaged by fire. From July to November, I knew that a a helping hand would, would help, not only help a little bit but help with hope as well and and keep new people moving on and so that's what you helped us create and we were we uh we managed we're still we're actually having an event on the 28th um to raise more funds because more fires are happening um and also educate on the topic that we're going to talk about today around the legacy project
0: so this is i mean so given your work Uh, At the community level, it's no surprise that you would wound up being the chief community officer for for canopy, right? So let's talk about that. You know, let's talk about what it is, and um, and the fact that it's going to launch very shortly.
1: Well, I think before we can even talk about what it is, because this is such an intimate conversation for breeders and cultivators. Um, You know, historically, this group has been leveraged and taken advantage of through their genetics and what they've created. And, And we've really found a way to help them with that. Um, I have been on a mission for quite a few years to figure out a pathway to empower these breeders and educate on the value of the genetic diversity in these regions. Because there's there's cultivars up here that we know stop MRSA that we that have been that stop seizures that you know people have documented and researched for quite a long time that really validates what these different phenotypical expressions can do and different genotypical expressions can do. Um, And I started, when COVID happened, it made it really easy easy to gather people. And I asked a bunch of people from all over to come together and help find a pathway for this conversation, because there can actually be licensing agreements between these cultivars that can empower the small farmer to stay small. Um, And through that journey, I had an amazing attorney come to me and say, I see what you're trying to do. I'll be your pro bono bono attorney. His name is Dale Hunt. Um, And he became the attorney for Humboldt Grace. And he said, you need to meet this amazing organization that uh, Ed Rosenthal is a part of called the Ethica Data Alliance. And I went in there and I, because I am not a techie. I am, I was a nurse before all of this, my injury, my back injury Um, and, and, and I definitely didn't know much about technology except for social media. Um, but I, he said, you need to go into the Ethica data Alliance. You're, you're really trying to do similar, but you have a much more honed in need through my community. Um, and I went in and I said, Hey, you guys, I, I need to figure this out. I, I can't even begin to put some of these genetics out there until they're protected. And that day, another attorney came to me. His name was Jeff Hamilton. And he said, I think I have a solution to your problem, but it's not finished yet. And I need help. And that was, he is the founder of Canopy Right, And he had been spending the past two years. He hired an amazing team called TMXQ. They work for Fortune 500 companies to build their security systems like Bank of America and big names like that. Um, And he went to them and said, look, the most valuable thing these communities have is their genetics, yet they have no way to protect them and get them to market in an effective way. And I had been working with local folks in this community and outside of the community in building relationships for licensing agreements between breeders, Um, kind of like royalties for music. And so he comes to me and he'd already built it. He had built the blockchain with the licensing agreements through smart contracts. So folks can do these things without spending thousands of dollars on attorneys and they have direct access. So he brought me on and we said okay what do we need to do to ensure that this community really is protected and doesn't get sold out in the long game and so what we did is well i didn't really tmxq developed a unique technology through Hedura and we tweaked that a little bit with hashtags Um, and the ledger system that we're actually, is in the patenting process right now because it's so unique, um, that meant that allowed anyone to put any data on our blockchain and we, even as the administrators, have no access to that data unless they open it up to us or they open it up to a, 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 a client that they wish to see what their cultivar is. And it allows them to store COAs, DNA tests, historical information, photographs, in a way that actually empowers the value of the cultivar and allows them to do agreements with say large brands or large cultivation companies to use those genetics. And we track it through metric.
0: Okay. I'm gonna make sure that I got this. So let's go to the eighth grade version of the story. I got started to get lost a little bit when you were talking about the development of smart contracts. So I wanna make sure that I understand, you know, what you're talking about there.
1: So a smart contract is a, you know, it costs anywhere from five to $10,000 to have an attorney put a really good contract or licensing agreement together for you depends how complex it is. Um, that's a really big hurdle for, I, I explained earlier, how these communities are struggling right now. We have massive people walking away from permits because they're not making, they're all going bankrupt. It, the tax structure is annihilating the small farmer up here. So things need to be accessible for them to be able to actually use them. And these licensing agreements can be costly. Um, and so Jeff, being a, a corporate attorney and an expert in these licensing contracts, created kind of like um, legal Zoom or Rocket Law, a way that you can just negotiate through the app, through okay. Canopy, right? have it all tracked so it's legally accountable, and create a contract where it's just a few push of a buttons instead of having to hire a lawyer for a large rate. Um, and we, we, the buyer pays a low, much lower than they would have to pay a lawyer for the contract low rate to engage in, in the contract agreement.
0: So I, as a potential buyer, want, you know, have had a good experience with a particular cultivar. And I want to um, purchase that to make other extractions, other products from. Then that would be tracked and the canopy right system. And um, if the the seller, the owner of that genetics would decide what I could do with it or how much it would cost or what have you.
1: Right, that that would all be negotiated within the contract. So there's lots of different ways that this could be used. If you're a large scale cultivator, And you want a new, unique, sexy thing, right? Or, you know, you want something that's really stable. Maybe you're a high volume cultivator and you want something that, you know, is really stable, isn't going to get powdery mildew, things like that. Well, you can, you could go into Canopy, right? And search those things. And it would come up that these are the strains that hold those qualities in them. Uh, Say you're a brand and you're going to, you want to come out with a, a really juicy, sweet pre-roll, and you know what you want it to taste like, you know that you want these particular terpenes in it, and you want this particular effect, you would go into P. Rite, search those terpenes, search those effects, and those cultivars that test, and you would see the information to validate it um, meet those profile demands that you have. So there's multiple, or if you're researching, um, if you want, you know, you need something with high THCV in it, um, you could go in there and search that and you would see cultivars. And then what you would do is negotiate a contract with the seller. um, And then you would go to the seller and pick up your cultivars and do the rest of the transaction. So it's it's actually a seller to buyer, a seller to customer, I guess. No. I'm saying that wrong. Um, it's a direct. Sale. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, seller to customer kind of a thing rather than. Uh, uh, I, I'm, license I'm so to happy.
1: license. That's the word I'm trying to, to, to do, license to license. So this is launching in all the metric states. And anyone with a cultivation license can participate in the contract aspect of it. Um, But home growers can also use this because a lot of home growers have amazing cultivars out there and we want them to be protected. So if my backyard Betty's got into, you know, Juju Bee's brand and I saw that, hey, that's my cultivar that I created for my medicine, then I could go to Juju Betty's brand, get some of their flower, buy it test it and prove that we we had the same dna and now all of a sudden juju betty's has to go to lele and give me a percentage of the royalties i see so it, it creates a way for buyers to validate and authenticate the genetics they're looking for because that's a really shady market right now. You don't really know what you're getting, and there's no way to really figure that out. And we've put together something that begins that process. Um, But it's also a way to ensure that when new cultivars get out there, and if it is the new cultivar that is the biggest blunt in the market in California for the next five years, then there's some accountability in that.
0: So how then do you distinguish um, uh, a a Kush or a, a Blue Dream that starts out as one thing and maybe becomes something else in another environment? You know, would the
1: so those are called phenotypical expressions? Okay. So you can see that. Science shows you that. So Lele's kush is going to be different than Patricia's kush. Okay. Maybe not an indoor environment, you know, if you're really replicating that, you know, you're gonna be pretty close. But if you're dealing with an outdoor or a greenhouse, then, then you're gonna see variations. And even the processes, if you and I do grow indoors in the exact same environment and our processes are different, you're gonna see a slight variation in that. And we have already, through the Legacy Project, we've been doing, we've been building a pathway to also empower, These genetics through an auction, we've discovered within our community, a skunk that has a very unique allele in it, which is a link in the DNA chain. We don't know exactly what that allele does yet, because there's more research in it. But just through the first cultivar that we took through this process, we found something really unique and special, which is exciting.
0: Wow. So it actually puts breeders and growers in a much more powerful position. Yes. You know?
1: Well, that's what I, I like to say whenever I get the chances. We are putting the power back into people's hands. Because wow. now the creator all of a sudden is sought after again and now as this market matures we're already seeing it the need for genetic diversity is is absolute um you know we right now we only have certain mostly indoor genetics in the legal marketplaces and they're not that stable um older outdoor genetics that have been more researched and more hunted are way more stable and you can count on them and you can build much stronger more successful crops then you talk about the medicine, medical diversity, like as a patient, I started understanding all this back in 2009, when I started growing for myself, I've always been involved, but I never grew for myself. Mm-hmm. And I realized that my, I had different environments and the medicine was different in each environment and that how some strains I didn't like growing and I didn't like smoking, they didn't help me as well. And so I had to start looking at what we called back then strains. Now we call cultivars because that's the correct term in plant world. Um, And how important it is not just to a patient, but if you're really building a brand and you're putting a product out there to consumer loyalty, because consumers want to know that they're getting the experience that they're buying. And when you start, honing in on the genetics of the plants that you're using you get much better at replicating that experience and that's how we beat big pharma one of my best friends she's a formulator in the industry and she's always saying consistency is how we beat big pharma Um, and genetic stability and knowing your genetics and finding the right genetics for your product needs is how we create that and beat big pharma
0: So this is very interesting, um, this conversation about finding the right genetics. You know, people in a more general context just talk about it all being very personal and that you have to tweak your experience to identify what works for you. Like that's the easy way out of the conversation. But what you're talking about is much more aligned with where I see medicine you know, going, being this whole idea about personalized medicine, or uh, even even going back to how I grew up, where my mother made medicine for us. We didn't go to the doctor. You know, there were so so now there's a different understanding that you can have about the plant. So I can listen to Doctor. Um, I can listen to doctors talk about this place in the chain, that place in the chain, C1, C2, whatever. But the bottom line is, you still have to understand what the medicine is itself. Um,
1: Yes, this well, you know, and there's actually I met an amazing young man um through your cannabis business alliance who's working on an app that actually is gathering that information and doing that research, right? And I I, maybe, Ota.
0: Ota. Yeah, I so just was, saw him in Baltimore. I was at the cannabis science conference and he was there.
1: Yes. Ota. Ota well, we 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 were well, we we're launching now, but we hadn't launched yet when he and I talked and, and so neither of us were quite ready. He he's not quite ready. But I think, you know, we see lots of opportunities to collaborate absolutely. with folks like Ofa. Yeah, um, absolutely. Because not only, you know, I'm a patient. I grew up in this, but I did not like weed until I became a patient in nineteen ninety-nine because of all the oppression that around the drug war it created in my life, with not nice things. Um, and what OSA is doing is really going to help us take what we're doing, educate it more to the patient, the, the person that all this is supposed to be about anyways. Right. is yes. Healing. Um, and, and now instead of patients having to navigate doctors all the time, and that's a big learning curve they could go into otha system and go this is i need this profile and then they could go into canopy right and they could put in that profile and they could see what flowers meet their medical needs
0: i think this is awesome he, his his app is called tetragram Oh, ah, look,
1: there we go!
0: Look, look ah,
1: that's awesome! You that's it. so funny!
0: That's so funny! I'm wearing the. I'll te- show it more. There we go! Yeah, that's awesome! That's too funny! I forgot I was wearing it this morning.
1: Oh, you're gonna love that! That's awesome!
0: <laughs> but um, yeah, definitely, um, this brings a lot of loose pieces together, for someone like me who's looking at the relationship between different players in the game, you know, and how together you bring so much, But um, back to what you said before, you bring so much power to the consumer, to the end user and to businesses as well, you know? But it's great that um, that the power is in your hand. You can kind of choose who you're going to work with, you know?
1: Well, the power's in the breeder's hand. It's not my hand. I mean, I I own part of the company with Jeff and Kelsey, and I haven't talked about Kelsey. Kelsey Parker's amazing. She's building the whole front design aspect of this. Um, But Jeff, Kelsey, and I own the company. Um, But it really, we do not have access to, I can't like go in and look at anybody's information. I can't go in and... um, mine data from their information. I really believe that the data of the farmers and the breeders is gonna be worth something sooner than later. And we don't wanna be able to mine their data. We want to empower their data. We want to empower them with their data and their creations.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that that's... that's. Uh, so, all right. so So now I see more clearly what problem in the market uh, Canopy right addresses, you know, and um, I can also see how this would change the life of the breeders, you know? Yeah.
1: You know, I, in 2009, this amazing man empowered me to have a vision of having white wine in my joint with my wine and my weed farm right here because I'm allergic to a lot of white wines, but I love a really crisp, light summer wine. Um, And we created this vision together in our heads in 2009, and he was murdered in 2003, before legalization started really coming to the table in California. And I believe that instead of our farms in these regions having to go big or go home, because that's really what legalization did. It forced a lot of these farms to go much bigger than they were needing to because of the way they grew and the quality they grew um, and empowered them to go back to being innovators. You know, this, these communities innovated much more than just cannabis. Um, we created the hydroponic industry you know, from the weed industry, Pelton wheels, solar systems. I mean, it's just, it goes on and on. We used to have the highest artists per capita in the U S here. It's really a place that creates magic within you Um, because we are so isolated. I think and we have so many amazing trees around us, Um, but this helps bring, the industry back to that place where these regions more are innovating new medicines, new genetics, honing in on their skills and then partnering with the big guys so they can take all that IP and do it right in the industry. So we're not tearing this world apart. We're actually using this plant to save the world.
0: And so, all right, I mean, I'm totally stoked. I'm on board. I, <laughs> I can get my tambourine and start banging it right now. So what can we do? What can we look forward to? It, will it be a private company? Will the public be able to uh invest at some point? Will we you-
1: well? Shucks, we do need to raise $450,000 to get us through the next three years because we've built this system for free for the creators and we, we, we were going to keep it that way. Um, we need to raise a little money. Um, and this is a new market we're talking about. So we, we want time to really build it well. So we are raising $450,000 and we would really love for that to come from the community, come from legacy operators come from people who are impacted by this conversation because then it stays the way it is this system can never be changed no one if this system was bought by some big horrible someone or another they still can't get your data they still can't get your dna or i wouldn't be at the table Um, so the breeders are very protected, but we do need $450,000 that we're we're funding right now. And we really would love to see that from a partner, not someone who just would like to get access.
0: And initially you said you'd be interested in raising that money with legacy operators. they are
1: all partners, yes. Mm-hmm. Right now, we've been going for almost three years all on friends and family money and the founder, Jeff. Jeff has put, this has been his hobby money for the past two years. He's really put his heart into this and we all feel this is a heart project. Um, It's a really slim team to have a low overhead and it's a test. So, you know, we've already paid for all that. Um, Now we just need to keep the doors open so we can ensure that everyone gets to play in this game fairly. Mm -hmm. And we would love honest money, good money, the people's money.
0: (laughs) I hear you. (laughs) The people's money. So, and what's your marketing plan? How are you doing that? I think when we first started to talk, you said that it was really kind of a peer to peer. Um,
1: Really, you know, this is a very unique um, system. And it's a very special audience right now because breeders have been the most taken advantage of in this conversation. So what we're doing is right now, I've got over 100 breeders to agree to participate in the system. Um, and that was my goal for the first year. So I've, I met my goals. Um, and now what I'm doing is I'm going to farms and helping people on board into the system, um, educating people on this marketplace, on this conversation that we had. And so what we really need is for anyone out there who has something, a cultivar that they have been carrying or they medically curated for themselves, or maybe it's a land race that they've been holding on to forever. Um, please take three leaves with the stem, because we need about, um, I think it's about three inches of Mary's stem. So three leaves with the stem, put them in a Ziploc bag and freeze them. Um, When the app is up, you will put your name and stuff in the blockchain. And then we will download a QR code, which you will put in an evidence bag with that Ziploc bag and refreeze it. Um, And we are in it, it costs nothing. Uh, and we have no access to it. So we can't ever sell your information. And we're just really asking everybody in the world to start doing that because we think this is a way to keep the industry empowering the people that created it.
0: Okay. Well, like I said, I'm blown away. I My mind goes to I don't know, it's someplace in Scandinavia where all the seeds of all the food in the world are stored somewhere. And so this makes me think about the importance of this act. Yes, it's intellectual property, but it's also this would be true sustainability. You know, the effort in and of itself is really about sustainability in the truest sense of the word. I could be wrong, but that's what it seems like to me.
1: No, you nailed it. You know, right now we can see across the globe, the lack of food in the grocery stores. I think probably everyone sees that. I We live in a, in a small community here. So we have a lot of rural farms, but even then we have some empty shelves on our grocery stores. And, and part of that is due to the genetic instability of, Big Ag, you know, most of these crops are created from clone and indoor cult, you know, indoor genetics, and they're just not as strong and stable. And as we move through this climate change, like we are, if we want to eat and if we want to have good medicines, we need to start looking at what the word heirloom tomatoes really means. You know, we need to start looking at does this cannabis really have in it what i need to heal me or do i need something different you know um so we can start utilizing these medicines effectively mushrooms are the same way as mushrooms come in they are very uh they have their own expressions and change and morph and that means that they medically treat you differently um and there's a lot of beautiful plant medicines out there that need to be honored properly as we move forward in utilizing them, because hopefully plant medicine will take over the world.
0: Yeah, that would be great, wouldn't it? So we've been talking to um, Leilani Dubois from uh, Canopy Right. She's a chief community officer, founder of um, Humboldt Grace and Humboldt Grace Legacy Project. I want to thank you so much for um, playing talk like. I got it. Like I understood what you're saying. I understand it's important. And I hope that our listeners do too. Best place to find you or find information about you is where?
1: On um, all over social media as Humboldt Grace and my name. And then we have an Instagram for Canopy Right. And the best website right now is www.canopyright.info. And next week, I believe it'll be .com because it'll be launched.
0: All right. Thank you so much for your time today. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us today. Pass the word. Share the love. Like, subscribe, tell a friend. Can't wait to talk to you again on the next episode. Thank you.